0: Good evening and welcome once again to Your Legal Rights on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco Bay Area. I'm your host, Jeff Hayden. Tonight, our friends at Legal Assistance to the Elderly have joined with us to offer the first. Of a series with tonight's broadcast devoted to elder financial abuse some practices are obvious such as falsifying financial records or forging signatures others may be more subtle such as selling a senior on a poor investment with a huge commission or perhaps selling unneeded repairs to their home stick around and learn a bit about protecting seniors from a whole litany of scams and predatory practices. Future broadcasts may include the prosecution of abusers and the statutory scheme to protect seniors. Tonight, we discuss the problems, explain the planning that might help avoid the situation, and of the greatest import, where you can go for help. How does a consumer or a family member know when he or she or their loved one, has been victimized by such a scam? How can you respond, and what remedies might be available? Are there precautions we can take to avoid them? Well, for starters, give us a call. Our phone number right here is 415-841-4134. Again, that's 415-841-4134. If you're outside of the San Francisco Bay Area, call us toll-free at 866-798-8255. That's 866-798-8255. As always, you can call regarding any question on tonight's topic. Tonight, we're talking about elder financial abuse. You're not limited to the exact point we may be in our conversation. And bear in mind that our attorney guests can't provide you Precise legal advice. They won't have all the facts relating to your given case. But we're here to have we're happy to pass along the legal principles, to assist you in your decision making, and hopefully lead you to some resources and where you can go for help. And their legal guidance mightn't be the position of their employers or clients, but again, my guests are here to help. And joining us tonight, Sydney Gartman is the outreach coordinator. For and also the client advocate at Legal Assistance to the Elderly in San Francisco. Sydney also coordinates with other agencies throughout the region. Also joining us is Monica Castillo. Monica is a supervising attorney practicing financial elder abuse litigator. Prior to joining Legal Assistance to the Elderly, Ms. Castillo was a partner at Sorrel, Castillo & Hall, LLP, where she practiced litigation, personal injury, and estate planning. A past president of the San Mateo County Bar Association, Monica served on its board of directors for nine years. And with that, I'd like to welcome Monica. Sydney, welcome to your legal rights.
1: Thank you, Jeff. Glad to have us. Glad that you can have us. Yes, happy to be here.
0: You know, Monica, I I wanted to ask you a little bit. I mean, you were a successful attorney in private practice, You were well positioned in leadership of the legal community. How did you find yourself drawn to work in a nonprofit sector such as you did?
1: Yeah, it's that point in your life that people reach sometimes where you, you know, you'd really like to do something. I wanted to do something that was a little bit more directly impactful and maybe just directly helping people. I, would of course, I'd had clients throughout my litigation career, but in a way that I hadn't really done before. And that was through, in particular, helping elderly clients. And one thing led to another, and I ended up at Legal Assistance to the Elderly.
0: Sydney, I was very happy to to find you and to collaborate with Legal Assistance to the Elderly. But before we begin doing that, can you tell us a little bit about the program that you're so passionate about?
2: Yes, so our current outreach initiatives are centering um, Black homeowners, and I'm really passionate about that. Being a Black person myself, I really want to see us be able to support um, this very underserved community here in San Francisco. Um, You know, um, approximately 5% of Black people in San Francisco um, are in San Francisco, excuse me, and you know, they often are overlooked. And I am i was drawn to this position because I saw their initiative to help, um, you know, a community that is so near and dear to my heart. And I'm really excited um, to be able to give back to the community
0: in this way. What are some of the other projects that Legal Assistance to the Elderly engages in?
2: one other um you know area that we like to focus on is consumer cases um so often with consumer debt cases um they are um you know decided in favor of the debt collectors and more often than not it's because clients don't know how to um simply say no, or simply say that they are judgment proof, which means that they um, literally cannot pay back the debt. Um, and I think like that's also a really great way to assist people that would otherwise fall victim to exorbitant fees and you know nefarious scams from um, debt collectors and um, other financial institutions and I'm really excited to be able to outreach to people that need um, assistance in this way because yeah, it's, it's actually, you know, I wouldn't say easy, but it's a fairly simple case to be able to combat and really it just goes to show that knowledge is power.
1: And Jeff, just a little background too. Sydney and I are on a team called the financial security team. Mm -hmm. And in addition to elder financial elder abuse cases, and what Sydney mentioned, consumer debt defense, we also do, Foreclosure defense, and we do some end of life planning, which I'll talk about a little later. And then outside of our team, there's another big team in our office that does eviction defense. So we do a lot of really good work.
2: Yeah. And to piggyback off of that, we also, um, you know, help people retain benefits and um, we assist with, um, you know, insurance claim denials and things of that nature. So that's also really exciting.
1: And And it's free if you, and there's no qualification other than being a resident of San Francisco and being 60 or older or being a disabled adult. Yep.
0: And when you said benefits, you're talking about both me- pri- uh,
1: Med- social security, Medicare, medi
0: Perfect. Let me turn to our first caller, Eric from San Rafael. Eric, welcome to your legal rights. Hi there. Um, so, I have a
3: friend who's 92 years old, um, and signed a prenup when he was 68. The prenup was present- presented to him three days before the wedding. Um, apparently he was represented, he doesn't remember. Uh, and the prenup, um, uh, sheltered all of his, uh, wife's, uh, sheltered all, everything. Um, and, they were married for twenty three years until she died late last year and um, and her uh, um, her trust uh, left him fifty thousand dollars out of her estate of about three million. Um, there's many more bizarre layers to this um, and but enough that we thought it could be litigated, but we had um, a really difficult time. Uh, and eventually gave up um, of trying to find a attorney that um, that that you know would do the estate litigation um, and also the the you know he he doesn't have he, he, there was four thousand dollars in the joint bank account so he doesn't really have means to um, pursue what you know what ought to, what ought to be his and you know another another Quickly, there is that uh, the, the house that they lived in was his house from 1960, and uh, the, there was a $200,000 loan uh, when they got married, and it uh, ended up being $450 uh, when she passed. So, um, some of the money that had been spent during their marriage, uh, he now has as debt. And I guess. My question is, uh, is um, a state litigation so uncommon that it's hard to find representation or,
0: um, yeah. where Where is your friend located? Uh, in Marin. This appears to have a lot of layers to it in the sense that they were married a long time. And in addition to the probate litigation, there may also be some very strong family law issues at play. Mm-hmm. And it may be that some of these things that were considered separate property when he signed his prenup 27 years ago may have been transmuted over time. And it's really hard to... Uh, Undo to, that. Yeah. Oh, and it's, I was going to say, it's really hard to get to the bottom of that from the brief telephone call um, I'll, I'll let you go ahead and answer him to the to the extent you can and when monica i'll turn it to you but when you and sydney but when you two are done i, I do have one last one last place to uh
1: sure.
0: suggest to eric
1: well i i have to echo what jeff said it, it has a lot of layers to it and maybe it's been difficult to get an attorney for that reason because the attorney who does a state litigation might not know as much about the family law matters and vice versa. So that's why it might seem a little complicated. And yeah, I mean, we don't know enough to really give other, other additional sort of information, but um, maybe the person that you found can, you know, work together with another lawyer, with a family law lawyer and together, maybe they could, it could be a case
3: yeah no I, I didn't i didn't i wasn 't successful at finding anybody that would that would uh, dig in um so, where were where were you looking um well i started with uh my family law attorney and um i have several attorneys that are were are actually retired family law attorneys and um they all echoed what you said which is this sounds really difficult but it you know i mean there certainly were some seemingly nefarious uh, actions taken, um, but the thought of, of of drilling down and litigating, I, I think, you know, they, they all agreed that it was doable, but it would be super time-consuming, which, of course, translates to dollars.
0: Well, to a point it does, but there's also limits on how much the attorneys in probate can charge uh, for certain types of cases, so it gets very complicated even answering that part of the question. Um, Mm. You know where you might start is the Bar Association of San Francisco provides a lawyer referral and information service that covers San Francisco and Marin counties. And maybe if you talk with them, they can refer you to a lawyer who has an overlap of family law and probate. And you might be If you continue down that road, able to find a lawyer that is familiar enough in both arenas to really be able to go beyond scratching the surface and tell you if it's worth pursuing. But that's probably the direction I would go. Their number, which we give every half hour on this show, is 415-989-1616. That goes directly to the Lawyer uh, Referral and Information Service and they can help you find the right lawyer. And it only costs like $30, $35 to get a consultation and really know if it's time to walk away or if after talking with them, maybe some of these assets that started out separate were transmuted and became community assets. Maybe they didn't. And maybe assets purchased or acquired during the marriage were done so with a community effort in their community. Notwithstanding that agreement, but you'll never know unless you start really listing what's there, what's where you started, what we acquired, what money we took out. It's it's takes a little time. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I can. I'm happy to make that call. I wish you the best. Best of luck. All right. Thank you for your time today. Thank you, and let me turn it to back to Monica and Sydney, and I'm. Can you give a definition, really, what is elder financial abuse? I mean, can you lay out um, a working definition so we have a better framework to start from?
1: Yeah, so the elder financial abuse um, is based on legal language, which is found in California's Welfare and Institutions Code, And the legislature wanted to impose heightened duties and strict safeguards for financial relationships with elders. So in enacting the Elder Abuse and Dependent Adult Civil Protection Act, which is, I know, a mouthful, they they designed and intended to protect elders from the kind of parasitic actions which victimize elders in, in in many of the situations we see. So the legislature specifically found and declared that elders may be subjected to abuse, and the state has the responsibility to protect these people. Um so there are a lot of protections in it. There's some favorable language for attorneys to help bring these cases for fees. And it's it's a powerful act. We we use it in every case that I've litigated.
0: And some of this stuff may be subtle, but some of it is pretty ridiculous when you start looking at the people that live off this parasitic activity.
1: Well, Jeff, if I could give you a few statistics. Um, First of all, unfortunately, I wish this wasn't the case, but only one in 44 cases of financial abuse is even reported. This is according to the National Adult Protective Services Association, and The AARP, which I think many people are familiar with, they did a study recently and they found almost 30 billion, that's billion with a B, a year lost to financial exploitation by adults who are 60 and over. So, and the FTC has data that indicates that seniors are 94% more likely to report fraud attempts if they haven't lost any money. So that really opens the door to you know why this happens, but I, I don't want to jump ahead.
0: So if I understood you correctly, if they didn't lose money, they're more likely to report it, but yes. if they really lost money, they don't probably want yes. to admit it.
1: Due to shame, embarrassment, fear, it's one of those situations where how could this happen to me? How could mm. I have fallen for this? It's too mm-hmm. embarrassing. It may be a smaller amount, you know, whatever a smaller amount means to someone, 100 two hundred $200, you know, or maybe even more embarrassing. It may be a larger amount. You know, people don't want to admit they've been conned or scammed. But one of the things that we really want to always emphasize to people is that's not the way to think about it. You've been victimized if you're a victim. And the focus should be on the, the abuser, not on the person and making them feel bad.
0: Another thing that I would note for those folks that are listening, you shouldn't feel ashamed. There are people that get victimized who have 100% of their faculties. The fact is, is the world is constantly changing. And if you're not as engaged as some others are, you might not change with it. And others will take advantage of that gap.
1: Absolutely. That's what it's about. It's about finding the vulnerable elders and exploiting them. We try to keep up with the latest scams. And unfortunately, there's always a new scam that comes out. I mean, I just heard today in a meeting about the latest scam because um, Chinese New Year's coming up. There's a scam where a person will... um, Approach an elder and saying that they need help finding a doctor. So they they find this doctor in quotes who's also in on the scam. And this person says, um, "Oh, you know, I can do a, a blessing of your jewelry and money, or I can have someone bless your jewelry and money for you in you know anticipation of the new year." So the elder hands over their jewelry and money, and then when they get it back, you know, I don't know, an hour later, a day later, however long it takes, it's a bag full of rocks. I mean, this sounds like I'm making it up, but this is actually a scam that's going on now.
0: And then there's always the ones that are either because of their physical frailty or perhaps dementia aren't even aware that people are taking advantage of them.
1: Yes, absolutely. Cognitive issues definitely impact. Also, sometimes... You know, there may be a fear. An elder may not want to alert their family about their own inability to manage their finances, something they've been proudly doing all their lives. So they may not really tell their family that suddenly they've been helping out someone, you know, Joe or Jane that they met on online or in a class or that called them by sending them money.
0: My mother's been getting repeated phone calls from her grandson who needs bail money. Yep. My mother doesn't have a grandson. You're listening to Your Legal Rights on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco Bay Area. I'm Jeff Hayden, and tonight we're discussing tools that protect California seniors from a whole litany of financial abuse, scams, where you can go for help. If you have questions for my guests, our phone number is 415-841-4134. If you're outside of the local dialing area that's outside the San Francisco Bay Area, call us toll-free at 866-798-8255. That's 866-798-8255. As always, you can call regarding any question on tonight's topic. You don't have to jump into the exact point. We may be in our conversation. So the scams that are coming around are really something. Um... My mother, happily, is somebody who is on top of her game enough that she doesn't bite from these folks that are talking about the Mercedes, what's waiting for her, the huge amount of cash they need to get in touch with her, be able to get her identity and bank information. She's not bitten.
1: That's, but, that's good. That's a relief.
0: And I know there's others who have. And that's very disappointing.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, we hear so many sad cases and not happening just once, but repeatedly. It, it's really, really, really tragic. And it's such a big problem that I think people aren't aware of until it happens to someone they know, someone in their family, a loved one.
0: So some of these scams, they want information from them. What responsibility do financial institutions owe toward their senior clients? Um If they notice or if they should notice suspicious amounts of money are being withdrawn or moved from one account to another, maybe a family member has suddenly been signed on and they move money toward their own accounts. At some point, is there responsibility upon the financial institution that they knew or should have known some of this is going on?
1: Yeah, you've touched on what is a, a big bone of contention for, for litigation in this area. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, you have the banks who say either, yes, we have trainings on that internally. And they advertise that they're, you know, they try to keep an eye out for their senior or elder clients. Um, and there are some that do, and there are definitely some individual people, you know, like maybe the frontline, the tellers who do do this. But on the other hand, if it comes to litigation, the banks close ranks. Now, the act I referred to earlier does have language that, along the lines of the the person, you know, doing the scamming, either directly knew or should have known that their conduct was going to cause you know loss to the elder or um, assisted in it. So there is this somewhat gray area in the law but we're trying to really use that to our advantage when it comes to litigation the banks fight it a lot trying to say no we didn't know but the the you've you've like i said you've hit the nail on the head in a way that we feel that yes the banks should know um our executive director has this great example i'm gonna borrow from her she says you know if i'm if 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 i'm there's a credit charge that is, you know, I, I've i made that's like, how does she say it? Maybe I'm not saying it right, but sorry. What I'm trying to say is that definitely if it's the money is being lost by the bank, they'll let you know right away. But when it's the, the tables are turned, sometimes they're not as helpful or as quick to act when they really should be there we have a lot of clients who do their don't do their banking online they do their banking in person and really the tellers should be able to recognize when someone suddenly who only comes in every friday and draws out you know maybe 200 dollars is suddenly coming in and asking for 10,000 or coming in with another person who seems to be doing the talking for them all those are signs that really could indicate as a red flag that there's probably something going on here that they should look into Mm -hmm.
0: especially if that's a person that the bank's never seen before here this lady comes in every single week and now after 10 years of that pattern shows up with somebody else who's doing all the talking and just pointing to the signature line and saying sign here this is where you need to sign
1: Exactly, exactly. And one of the ways that we try to prevent that, um, I mentioned earlier that one of the things that we do is some simple estate planning. We prepare wills, trusts, uh, durable powers of attorney, and advanced health care directives. And in particular, the durable power of attorney, which is a document that you use in your lifetime when you appoint someone else an agent and you give them the powers to do things that you would do financially, um, there are different times that those can come into play. But we feel that sometimes having that will protect the senior um, to a degree because they will hopefully have only and given the powers to someone they trust um, who will act in their best interests. And so not just anyone, and that way their assets are are protected a little bit in situations like that.
0: Let me turn it over to Adam from San Francisco. Welcome to your legal rights.
4: Hi. Um, So I hear you guys talking about scams, and I've been uh, hearing that AI is starting to be used as a tool for scamming a lot, and so, like, an example I heard, and I'm sure there's a million different ways that this could go, but, like, one example I heard is um, you know, a caller calls you saying that, you know, they're PG&E, whatever, and you talk for like 10 seconds and they say, oh, sorry, wrong number. And then now they ha- can use your voice and, and uh, duplicate your voice with AI and then use that to call a family member. And like you said earlier, you know, say, I'm, I'm in jail, I need bail, whatever, whatever, if they know that, you know, you have this relationship with the person and i can and not only that but i just see a million different ways that ai can be used to like take advantage of people and commit crime so i'm just wondering if there's if you guys know of any sort of like talks in the in the law world or or in the litigation world or whatever around like getting ahead of this because i i feel like a lot of politicians that um should be protecting us from things like AI fraud or whatever that is, you know, the technology is advancing faster than we can sort of keep up Um, there because of, uh, you know, not to be ageist, but because that most politicians are sort of like older people, I think that they're not, they're so not connected with what's happening and they don't realize the importance of this.
0: So um, I'll take, I'll
4: take my answer off there.
0: If you want to stick around for a moment, you can, we're about to go to station ID. But I'll tell you, um, besides telling us you're a little bit younger, because we tend to think of, some of us, at least uh, two of us, think of politicians as, as often younger folks. <laughs> but but that said, the truth is, our politicians have not advanced the regulations nearly as fast as the corporations that are developing this technology are developing it. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately... All that they can do is draw up the software, come up with the codes, develop what has the potential to do an awful lot of good. But it's not always going to be in the right hands. And it does have the potential to do a lot of mischief. We'll return momentarily. You're listening to Your Legal Rights on KALW. FM, San Francisco, Bay Area. And we'll be back right after this.
5: Support for KALW is provided by the Bar Association of San Francisco. If you live in San Francisco or Marin County, the Bar Association's Lawyer Referral Service can arrange for you to meet with an attorney experienced in the area of law related to your situation. Call 415-989-1616 or visit sfbar.org for more information.
0: Sydney, I don't know if you may have some ideas. You're more into networking with a lot of the other uh, other agencies in the region. Do you have any idea where someone could go to get a better handle on what this is and maybe start an education going? Does, is anybody really looking into this and trying to stay on top of it?
2: Gee, you know, I don't know because AI is such a relatively new trend and it's slowly trickling into, you know, different sectors, the legal sector included. Um, So really, I think it's all about reading the news every day, staying informed, staying engaged in the world and really, um, you know, keeping a sharp edge when it comes to technology and You know, all of the different ways that people can manipulate it to their advantage.
1: I I almost think I have to give a non-legal answer because I don't know either. Um, I think to be practical, maybe as a family, come up with like a secret code or phrase that you would truly use. Mm -hmm. If you were calling a family member and you're in trouble that hopefully the AI hasn't heard or figured out or you haven't been recorded saying
4: yeah like a safe word i i i kind of feel like um i i definitely see what you guys are saying and that you know it's the there, there's responsibility on the individual to to do their research and stay informed and like stay on the cutting edge as best as they can but at a certain point like shouldn't like the societal contract like we need to be protected by this uh from this right because like it's not it's so many areas that ai can be used to 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 damage the world right um and like like you said it can also be used to heal the world i mean i'm sure we could use it to clean up our oceans if that was the the focus but um i just think that every time i i brought this this question up to anybody sort of like in 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 a realm that could maybe do something about it the answer always seems to be like yeah we don't really know we're kind of just gonna see what happens you know and um I don't know. I just feel like it, maybe there needs to be more urgency than that because it's it's like I mean, people could deep fake your face. They can, you know. There's just so many ways. Evidence evidence can't be trusted, you know. So there needs to be some sort of like legal watermark, maybe that can be put on a AI to let, inform everybody that you know whether it's audio or video that to inform people that like this was made by a machine. You know, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Yes, you know,
1: and.
2: I- see all the different ways that AI is being implemented. For example, I just came back from a dentist visit in which my um, or the person doing my intake there asked if it was okay if um, they use an AI to record our sessions so that um, it can make their note taking process faster. And I I declined because um, you know, there's just a certain level of intimacy knowing that um, you know, the person in front of you is, is, you know, listening to and understanding what you say and that there's no real risk of it being co-opted into something that it's not. So I think that a good way is to just, like, reserve that same intimacy in your interactions. And as and when it comes to, you know, text AIs like chat GBT, um, be careful not to put personal information on there.
1: Information Mm -hmm. that,
2: you know, is confidential or sensitive in some way. Um, Learn how to, um, you know, keep your cards close to your chest in that way and not Mm -hmm. just put so much personal information out there on on the Internet or, you know, using AI with such personal sensitive information because you never know what's happening once you give that data away.
0: Seems to me that the legislature... And I don't imagine that the legislatures in the other 49 states or many countries in the world have been terribly active mm-hmm. in trying to regulate artificial intelligence because, candidly, they don't, in, they don't fully understand the technology. So they tend to be behind and be reactive. And one thing that they can do, and I don't know that anyone has yet to do, is at a minimum require disclosure. So that, at least as a consumer, as somebody who's responding, you know they're using AI and you could opt out and Price if you don't I know can. it's troublesome
4: right and then and then, if you didn't provide disclosure, then there would be legal consequences for that right like you can't you're not illegally allowed to use AI in, you know with another person without their legal consent i you know i th- I think these are simple things that we can implement that would kind of like you know, um, they would, they would become industry standards. Right. And then, and then these companies that work on AI know like, okay, we have to have this legal watermark on all our you know, whatever. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to put that guy that in your guys' ear. And, uh, if you have any friends in high places in law or politics, definitely put that in their ears. Well, (laughs) well, for us uh, little people over here,
0: well, we're always happy to hear from people at all, all stations and, don't sell yourself short, but I really do appreciate your joining us on your legal rights. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. You know, I'll direct this to the two of you. I had a caller that sent in a message, did not want to go on the air herself, but is asking if a durable power of attorney can be done when the person's already been diagnosed with Alzheimer's But at this point, we'd still understand the function of having someone they trust be in control of their finances.
1: No, we can't prepare any legal document when the person doesn't have capacity. But capacity is not a yes or no, white or black question. It can be kind of a sliding scale. There can be a client who... May not have capacity most of the time, but does for a moment when they're speaking with you in your, in the attorney's office. Or they may really not be that highly functioning, but can understand that you're a lawyer and you're there to help them. And the document they're preparing is to give somebody else these types of, of powers or abilities. So, you know, it, it depends. I mean, a medical diagnosis of not having capacity is kind of, sometimes the end-all of it, but again, it it could vary from person to person.
0: Is there some kind of a restraining order that can be devised maybe to keep people that are awfully close to the person to prevent them from using undue influence? Maybe it's a spouse who's trying to tap into separate property or maybe it's a sibling trying to Get an advantage. We know that at some point we can later sue for using undue influence, but is there something prophylactic, something preventative that can be done?
1: I hadn't really used or thought of the idea of a restraining order. Um, That's a good suggestion, Jeff. Um, It would have to be, you know, the the grounds for getting one are, are pretty. It's not necessarily easy to get a permanent one. A temporary one, yes, maybe, but not a permanent one. So, I would—I don't know how well that would work, but it's—it's um, it's really difficult sometimes to avoid these things. I mean, one thing that maybe someone can do is so every county has uh, an agency called Adult Protective Services, or APS, and. A person can report to that and say, you know, I think this elder that I know is being influenced by this other person. Um, A person can even self-report if they need help. Um, We had a client who, again, was repeatedly falling victim to scams and recognized the need for help and self, we helped that person self-report. So maybe turning to APS, too, could be another alternative.
0: And there are other people out there to help if you know where to look and know how to ask. If there's a question that comes up about an elder and their intent and what they want for themselves and if they want to be home or they want to be in in assisted living or whatever it may be, the Catholic Charities has an agency called the County Ombudsman Program. And they will go out and talk to the people. And really figure what they want and help express it for them. And all these people are out there to help, but a lot of folks don't know where to look. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Your Legal Rights on KALW, San Francisco Bay Area. Tonight, we're discussing elder financial abuse and tools that will help us protect California seniors from a whole litany of abuse and also even those times when there are no tools but what to look for how you can help your folks how you can really watch out uh, for, for seniors or for, for that matter for yourselves. If you have questions my guests our phone number is 415-841-4134 that's 415-841-4134 you still have a few minutes if you want to call in if you're outside of San Francisco Bay Area call us toll free at 866 866- 798 8255. That's 866 798 8255. And as always, you can call regarding any question on tonight's topic. You're not limited to the exact point we may be in our conversation. So at some point, where do you turn for help? Is there some point you're a family member and You think somebody else, maybe even another family member or maybe a stranger or somebody in between, you think they're taking advantage. When do you know to call a lawyer or when do you know to call the police?
1: Those are all excellent resources. Uh, It might depend on how far along it's getting. Um, I think one of the first places to start is... Maybe with APS, maybe the police, Um, if there is a way to talk to the elder, uh, maybe asking if, let's say, for example, to avoid financial abuse through a durable power of attorney, ask the elder, do they have such a document or an end-of-life plan, what we like to call so talking and seeing what, what you know, maybe they don't realize what's going on. And maybe if you show them the papers or the finances, they can say, oh, I didn't realize this person was taking money out. But if they can't do that or they don't see that or they're not willing to really see what's happening, definitely an outside resource. Um, a lawyer can be very helpful if we can help as long as the person has capacity and they want to do something about it then we can help them. We can prepare that end-of-life plan, which sometimes includes other things they hadn't thought about, and we can talk to them about, you know, the decisions that they want the person to make that they're appointing as an agent um, and what they can or can't do. So there's, there's, like you said, Jeff, there's a lot of support out there. I think it's just starting by talking and listening to the elder and then Taking the next steps.
0: One of the challenges of living in the Bay Area is that things are geographically compartmentalized. So the person that's there to help you in Daly City might not be able to help you if you live in San Francisco, literally Mm -hmm. a stone's throw away, or over in Alameda. And do you, and this might be a question for Sydney, do you have other folks? that do the same type of thing as you do that you can coordinate with or refer people to when it's other Bay area counties.
2: Yes, definitely. Um, Let's see. You can use elder care locator, you know, just type that in in Google and that can um, give you the um, resources in your county for elder um, assistance You can also, um, I believe each county has its own bar association. So you need, um, so you only need to just search up, like, say you're in San Mateo County. Okay, so the Bar Association of San Mateo. And um, they can help you out. There's plenty of resources. um, Really, like, just look up online and they're right there. It's just so many people, you know, just stop And kind of shoot themselves in the foot and they stop really early on in the process and kind of just, you know, like give up because it's often a very hopeless situation. But trust me, there are definitely resources out there that can help you. There's also Bay Area Legal Aid. That's another one. You know, there's 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 so many, so many.
0: And one of the things I found discouraging tonight is our first call from Eric. And I hate to single him out. But it just seems to be so much of what I hear in that people run into obstacles and they find that they don't know where to go to the right place to get the help they need. And so many folks stop. And that must be much more prevalent in what you see than in what I see.
1: Yes, that's that's very true. Sometimes the reporting sites are not user-friendly. Some elders either don't have access to working online or simply aren't comfortable or familiar. I mean, it's easy for all of us to often say, oh, just look online. That can be quite an obstacle. Some of our clients or some elders are monolingual in languages that are not English. So there are obstacles, unfortunately, Jeff, but I think that turning to family members they trust Or the family members really keeping an eye out for that elder and really seeing, you know, this doesn't sound like the normal pattern of behavior that I'm used to from my loved one. And, you know, reaching out, APS, organizations like Sydney mentioned, even the police if necessary. Mm
0: -hmm. What are some some of the more common, more serial commercial predators out there that we see?
1: Well, the, some of the problems have to do, of course, with, for example, the reverse mortgages. Well, you know, they're definitely a good tool for, for people. They, they can be fraught with problems also. Um, there, many of our, our clients are, house rich and cash poor, and then the whole Bay Area, you know, an asset such as a home, especially if it's been held for a long time, can have a lot of value in it. So I think anything having to do with getting money from your home or home loans or those things can be, you know, you have to really be careful about what you're getting into.
2: Yeah. And I also wanted to pay back off that and say that, Often, the scams that we hear of are from, you know, new romantic partners who, um, you know, someone's elderly, they're alone because, you know, due to, like, not finding a life partner or being divorced or widowed. And, you know, in comes this person, sweeps them off their feet, gets really cozy, really comfortable really soon, and then before you know it it's it's just hand over foot with them and they very quickly like insert themselves into your financial
0: lives and sydney you open the door to talk about family members
4: mm-hmm.
0: what are some of the things that family members are doing
2: honestly i've seen family members um you know say they were trusted to have power of attorney then they put loans against the houses that they're parents are living in they even try to sell the home from out under their parents and say well you gotta go um you know it's it's really um really cruel like yeah there's there's you know a million and one examples to provide but um yeah often with family members um because it's it's you know often unsuspecting they'll try to you know do shady dealings with um, money that they know belongs to their parents or um, and it's not just parents it's siblings too you know it's it's really um anyone that can get close and um and you know take take advantage
1: where they see an opportunity and jeff i'm litigating cases where sadly family members have I'm going to say coerced, duped um, the trusting family member into signing over title or portion of title in the home to the scammer, the family member. And so, you know, then they go about, and and like Sydney says, take out loans, even evict the family member. So, you know, the victim, our client. And it just goes on and on. It's incredible how greedy people can be, really. It's very sad.
0: And there's often family members who are much more concerned with their flat screen TV they want than they are about keeping the family together and reasonably distributing assets.
1: Right mm-hmm. or their 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 inheritance, which always has rubbed me the wrong way. No one is entitled to get an inheritance. I feel, I mean, it's it's go spend your money. I say to my clients sometimes, you don't have, you know, obviously there are situations that you want to leave money for your family or right, different but you different scenarios. But really, generally, no one's entitled to an inheritance. But people get very greedy. Yeah, and you
2: know in terms of elderly clients with money, you know, they can't take it with them. So it's their choice to either live for now or leave behind. And that's completely up to them.
0: So let's shift gears a little bit. And I'd like you to tell us a little bit about the legislative scheme to protect seniors. And we're looking for the view from 30,000 feet. But what is there in the legislature what is the legislature created rather to protect yeah. seniors?
1: what the um I mentioned it a little earlier the the act that was created by the legislature with that long name the elder abuse and dependent adult civil protection act uh, for anyone who's uh, interested in terms of the exact code it's called the welfare and institutions code and its section one five six zero zero this enactment this act really is the key to the financial elder abuse cases that we litigate it has it's its protection is pretty broad um there are a lot of um, damages in it that a person can get um you know punitives triple damages and it's been refined over the years. I I don't know if other states have such strong acts, but California has really recognized that elders need protection. And they, you know, instituted these acts. It was amended in 2008 and it was strengthened. um, In 2008, they reversed the long established principle of caveat emptor, Um, which, you know, for those who aren't in the legal world, just means sort of buyer beware. That was the thinking before. And again, that kind of relates to the way we like to tell, remind people, don't look at the victim as as if it was their fault, rather look at them as the victim. And the legislature also recognized that in 2008, um, when they strengthened the act by finding that person's can be liable for financial abuse when they knew or should know that their conduct is likely to be harmful to an elder for the lawyers listening. I think that you can understand that that really opens the door a lot wider. So there's a lot of protection that the act affords and we hope that it gets continues to be strengthened in the future.
2: Yeah. And I think it's a great way to hold um you know scammers or people um enacting nefarious business practices accountable for the for their actions um and not reward them for getting away
0: with it it seems that somebody having several offspring several children there's always one that can keep an eye on the others or they keep an eye on each other if there's ever a bad actor there and somebody with only one offspring Maybe somewhat more vulnerable, who's watching? who's minding the store?
1: maybe, yes, maybe no. You're painting a little bit of a broad brush i I think, but maybe yes, um that could be a danger i mean we yeah it's it's really hard to generalize because uh, people can fall victim from their family members, but also from non-family members, from strangers. So, you know, the person, I think it's really, Jeff, you have to look at, is the person vulnerable, whether they have one child or more, are are they vulnerable And that with the reasons that I mentioned before, the markers sort of, you know, is the person, as you know, may be widowed or, you know, are they lonely? Are they depressed? Have they been ill? All those things that, really uh, result in someone being perhaps a bit more vulnerable. I think that might be the way to look at it.
0: Is there any kind of independent review available of somebody, is, if somebody's been determined to not have capacity, or similarly, if somebody thinks they have capacity, is there some independent review that can be done?
1: You mean yes. outside of the medical Review, or I'm not sure what you mean.
0: Is that the first stop to determine capacity? Is a medical review?
1: Well, a medical review can really be very helpful, and sometimes can be definitive. Sometimes it's just clear, no, there's no capacity. But because capacity is is a gray area, or there there are different kind of levels of capacity. It might not necessarily be the final answer. As a right. lawyer, you have to you have to speak to your prospective client um, in person, privately, even for a few minutes. Oftentimes, our clients come with a family member; they need someone to support them in a system. That's fine, but I need to spend some time with the person to know: do they have capacity? Do I feel they do? have capacity and, you know, do they, what do they want me to do? Is it something they truly want or is it the other person bringing them in that wants it? So it there's, it's, it's not just a simple yes or no answer.
2: Yeah. And, you know, to add to that, um, because uh, part of your question was like, is there an independent review that you can do, Um, you know, practicing self-awareness, you can, you know, ask yourself, are there gaps in my memory? Um, am I often confused? Am I often, um, you know, losing track of days or or losing track of tasks I completed? Um, you know, these are really important questions that um, are hard to answer, but that really help you gain that awareness of where you are at mentally.
0: Well, we're really at the end of the hour, and I promised I would give each of you half a minute to a minute for any closing thoughts, anything you really wanted to bring out there. Who would like to go first?
2: So I'll go first.
1: Ahead. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um I just want to add that, you know, at Legal Assistance to the Elderly, we're very passionate about what we do. And um you know, as such there are plenty of activities that we can do to, you know, spread the word, um, from volunteering with other orgs to coming to present with other orgs to um, even providing staff trainings with uh, other orgs and these are all things that we're happy to do so please feel free to reach out and um, i can definitely assist you in that process
0: and monica castillo would you like to join uh give us 30 seconds to a minute
1: so i just would like to really stress to people who are listening if you think you have a family member that may there may be issues with their finances or they have um, a mortgage that they may be falling behind on we can help most effectively when we speak to people early on and be the the sounding board provide the legal advice they need and really direct them in the way that they need help so talk to us. Our services are free, you know, not a penny to be charged. So talk to us. And we're if we're able to, and it's something that we, we do in our areas of practice, we'll be glad to try to make your elder or your loved one's life as, as financially safe and stable as possible.
0: You've been listening to Your Legal Rights on KALW, San Francisco Bay Area, We've been discussing elder abuse and protecting California seniors from financial abuse. Courtesy of our friends at Legal Assistance to the Elderly, San Francisco, tonight's guests have been Outreach Coordinator Sidney Gartman and Supervising Attorney Monica Castillo. Please be sure to join your legal rights next Wednesday night at our usual time at 6 o'clock where one thing's for sure. As always, we will take your calls and answer your questions. A big thanks to tonight's guests. Cindy Department and Monica Castillo, thank you both for joining us and to our friends at Legal Assistance to the Elderly. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. And at the controls, Joanne Marr. I'm Jeff Hayden. Thank you. Be safe. Have a great night and zealously guard your legal rights.
5: Support for KALW is provided by the Bar Association of San Francisco. If you live in San Francisco or Marin County, The Bar Association's Lawyer Referral Service can arrange for you to meet with an attorney experienced in the area of law related to your situation. Call 415-989-1616 or visit sfbar.org for more information.